Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato with my very talented co-host and executive producer, Mary Gamba. Mary, how are we doing today? I'm doing really good. I was hoping some more adjectives were going to come there, a couple more descriptors, but that's okay. We could, you know, do that later. Let me just say this. I've said it before. I'll say it on other shows. You just got a significant adjustment in your salary and a bonus. You're not getting any more compliments because between the two, what would you rather have? <laughs> compliments or cash? I will take the cash all day, every day. And thank you for teaching me such wonderful negotiation skills. So obviously it's working. We, have, we should have a new segment on lessons in leadership called compliments or cash. <laughs> hey, Mary, do me a favor. Before we bring in our good friend, Joe Bocassini over at uh, McCarter in English, tell everyone who makes lessons in leadership possible. Sure thing. Uh, New Jersey Sharing Network, thank you so much. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, Valley Bank, Prager Metis, Seton Hall University and the Bacino Leadership Institute, the North Ward Center, Kessler Foundation, and Delta Dental of New Jersey. So thank you all so much for your support and for making this show possible. As we always say, there uh, no money, no mission. No mission. You know, and that's part of our business development operation. We'll be talking to uh, our good friend, Joe Bocassini. Actually, let's bring on Joe Bocassini is the firm-wide managing partner, McCarter in English, LLP. Good to see you, Joe. Good to see you, Steve. Joe, uh, actually, we are taping right after the Super Bowl. We are not going to talk about the Super Bowl. This will be seen later. But I just happen to actually have Mary mentioning our, our sponsors, our underwriters. Your firm would not be successful if you did not have paying clients. Business development securing business, keeping business, a natural leadership trait or one that is trained in your opinion? I think you can have it as a natural leadership trait, but I also think it can be trained. And for most lawyers, it is something that has requires training and practice. For you becoming a lawyer, is it passion for the law? What, what is the passion about the legal field for you? So I took a little bit of a different approach to, to getting to, uh, to the law, but it, it is a passion in me to be able to do good while you're actually making a living. We talked about it earlier in terms of salary and compensation, but uh, it really was important to me to be able to make a good living while I was able to do some good. And the law provides that in spades for anyone who wants it. And real quick, could you describe McCarter in English, the history of the firm? Uh, sure. It's the, it's the oldest and largest firm in New Jersey. We're now currently what I would call a national firm. Most of our practices reach out nationally throughout uh, the United States. Um, we, we are a full service firm, which basically means if you have a legal need, we can address it. And to the extent that there are some areas we can address, we can refer you to very good partnerships that we have with other firms that can handle your legal needs. As, before Mary jumps in, uh, I want to acknowledge our good friend, Judge Jose Linares, who actually brought us together, has is, is been on with us many times. We're actually, as we're doing this program, booking him to, to on our PBS side to talk about a whole range of issues that are important to him and to the firm. Joe, let me ask you something. <clears throat> we had a great conversation recently with you about leadership development, about helping your people be the best they can be. You and I like sports, Mary does as well. She happens to be a hockey fan. I still do not understand what offsides is in hockey. That's another story. But regardless of the sport, media, law firm, developing your people. It's important to you and important to McCarter in English. Talk about it. Sure, no doubt. I mean, look, be, being a lawyer at a large firm or any size firm, it's a team effort, it's a team sport. So just like sports, you have to be able to rely on your people. And when I say that, I don't mean just the lawyers involved, but I mean staff, secretaries, all the way down to our, our catering service, who many, many times, and our receptionists, who many, many times 
get compliments from our clients that come in. And so it is truly a team approach. And if everyone's not pulling in the same direction, uh, we're not the best firm we can be. So we try to acknowledge that, um, train that and reward that at all levels. Well said, Mary, all yours. Yeah, Joe, as we're taping this, we're two years into the pandemic. And obviously for so many months and years, many organizations were uh, fully remote or if not hybrid. How do you continue to stay in contact with your team members? You had said now that you are across the country, your firm. How do you keep in touch with your team members when they're geographically all over the place? So it, it, it was, I got to say it was a challenge, but all, all credit really to, again, our administrative staff. We, we went remote um, probably on about two days notice and were able to get everyone across our firm um, onto a platform where we could be together. We all learned how to use Zoom very, very quickly um, and some very, very creative solutions where I would, and generally I travel to all of our nine offices on a regular basis throughout. And when we weren't able to travel for those couple of months uh, during the pandemic, it really was Zoom. We had holiday parties that first year of Zoom, which really were of remote work, which really happened on the iPads. And so I tried to make an effort to reach out to people individually, make phone calls, be on smaller Zooms. So our practice groups had their own little Zooms. Our offices had their own little Zoom meetings. Um, we as a firm had many, many events together as a firm or as different offices. Um, and we just we tried to get as creative as possible in terms of keeping people together, even if they weren't in the same room. And by the way, if people hear sirens, that's because we're taping live. <laughs> that's just part of what's going on. Joe, let me try this. Mary's going to jump back in in a minute, but I'm curious about something. You described these private Zooms or these smaller Zooms, the, you, you connect it with other folks. Did you do that as a leader within the firm, strategically, methodically, consistently, or when it hit you? Because I'm curious about that. People say, oh, well, it's more of an organic thing. And I, I respect organic, but I'm a big fan of strategic and intentional. Joe? So I'd like to say it was a natural occurrence, but it clearly was a strategic and intentional. We knew we couldn't be together. We knew very early on that one of our strengths was, and I said this to, to our firm a lot of times, the reason we were so good apart and remote was because we were so close when we were together. Um, and so it really was intentional to say, how do we keep that glue? How do we keep that, that, that family atmosphere that keeps us together um, in, in place while we were so remote? And, and frankly, Zoom gave us that ability, all of the different remote uh, abilities, conference calls, not just, not just video when you couldn't do it, but being together. And so we set, set meetings. We said, we're gonna have a meeting on a weekly basis with various groups. We said we'd have a meeting on a bi-weekly basis with other groups. Um, and we tried to be very intentional about it. Uh, yeah, Mary and I, the total is two or three times, two years into this pandemic plus, we've seen each other two times, Twice or three times? Yeah, I, I was going to say, I feel like it was three, but I could only come up with two. So I think it's seriously been two times in two years. And to Joe's point, if Mary and I did not have the connection we have to each other and we are partners and there's tremendous trust and collaboration, it doesn't work. Mary, you get the last question for Joe. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Joe, I know with your firm, a lot of what you do, you're supporting entrepreneurs, you're helping them through the legal process of starting up a business. Can you talk a little bit about what leadership traits and skills are needed for anyone out there that's really looking to start a business uh, just in terms of the leadership skills that they may need? Sure, look, I think the first skill you need is, is decisiveness. You can't waver, you have to be decisive. You have to own your mistakes. You're gonna, if you're, if you're in a position of leadership or, or starting something up or doing something new, 
you got to be ready to take that chance. You have to be ready to make that decision. You can't keep thinking about it and overthink it. And if you make a mistake, learn from that mistake and then go forward again. Uh, so to me, the most important thing is decision-making and accountability, owning your mistakes and then moving on, learning from them. Yeah, before I let you go, Joe, you said own your mistakes, right? Yep. Mary, I know I plug this book all the time. And to our uh, these two authors who are extraordinary ex-Navy SEALs, um, I mean, Extreme Ownership is a book that I has become my Bible. And, and I, well, not the Bible Bible, but the Bible for me is in leadership. And the one obsession I've come up with, as Joe just said, is as leaders, own your mistakes and also share the credit, meaning things go wrong, you better own it. And I'm not going to get into the question of how many leaders in government at the highest level, Joe, don't seem to appreciate or understand the importance of, hey, that's on me. No, it was yep. him. It was the previous. It wasn't me. It was the other. It's Congress. I'm thinking, what are you? No, I'm sorry. Mary, I'm off my soapbox. I won't do it. <laughs> Hey, Joe, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. To the family at McCarter in English, and you mentioned family. It is a family. To you, uh, to Joe, the other Joe, and to Jose and everyone at McCarter in English. And by the way, it, it, let, me, let me not make a mistake here. As we're doing this program entering March 2022, are you not just bringing on board at McCarter in English a member, uh, an ex-member of the state Supreme Court? We are. We are. In fact, we have just brought on Justice Janie Levecchia. Justice Levecchia, extraordinary uh, jurist, and uh, congratulations to you and the firm. It's a big deal. Thank you. No, extraordinary jurist, an extraordinary lawyer, and an extraordinary person, which is what we really look for. It's just spectacular. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Mary. We'll talk soon. Uh, McCarter in English. Stay with us. We're right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adubato. Mary, biggest takeaway from Joe Bocassini. It, it, and I've said it a million times. Every time I learn something new and just getting his perspective of pulling a team together and talking about a culture of an organization and how it's from the top down, it's so true. You need to thank everybody, whether it's housekeeping or the CEO of a company, everyone is a part of that team. So that was my biggest takeaway. Well said. And we've talked about this word, quote, grit, G-R-I-T, and leadership. And uh, Celicia Thompson, who wrote a fascinating book. Could you show the, show the book? You got the book near mm -hmm. I do. And we're about to see, it's called The Resilience Factor? It sure is, yes. And I know Sylvester will put it up in post as well, but it's a fantastic book. Uh, would you set this up or people should just watch it? I think people can just watch it. Uh, talking about grit, talking about resilience. So uh, let's take a look. Celicia Thompson. We are honored to be joined by Dr. Celicia Thompson who is Professor of Management at Berkeley College and author of a very compelling book. It is called The Resilience Factor, How to Face Adversity, Trauma, and Tragedy Like a Superhero. Good to see you, doctor. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me, Steve. I'm so excited to be on your show. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you because I'm a student of leadership. I teach it, write about it, but I'm fascinated by the whole question of, first of all, define resilience. You know about it personally and professionally. And then what does that have to do with being a great leader? Great question. Well, for me, the textbook definition, resilience is your ability to recover, bounce back from trauma or tragedy or hardship, right? What I found in, you know, looking through my research and just writing this book is there are four types of resilience that we go through as, as people, right? Personal resilience, okay? Financial resilience, I'm sure we've all been there, okay? Uh, professional resilience, getting laid off, having to bounce back, you know, change jobs. Does that include, does that include by being um, canceled on certain series or fired by certain networks? I just want to clarify. Yes. Then if I would be can... able to relate to that. Go ahead. <laughs> Steve, I love you already. If you have been fired from a show or a network and you've recovered and bounced back with How great- How dare they? <laughs> you have professional resilience. And then the last one I like to call spiritual resilience because we all fight battles on a day-to-day -day basis. So those are my four types of resilience. So this is so interesting to me, um, and and I and my my our sons. I, we have I have three sons, but two sons with my wife Jennifer. I, I hate when I say that because people are like, what do you have? Eight marriages? No, two. But I tell all three of our sons and our daughter Olivia that when you don't make the starting team, when you get rejected to a certain university or college, when you, I re, and they, I'll tell them stories that when I lost my seat in the state legislature, I was 26. I thought my life was over. They get, I could see them yawning, meaning. Can we teach others through our experiences of rejection, failure, publicly, very public failure, how to get back on your feet, fight and fight and fight? Why is that so hard for us to teach others? And is it just in your DNA? I know it's a loaded question. It's not just about my kids. It's about everybody who struggles to try to teach resilience. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great question. Part of it is DNA, part of it is experiences. You know, we are the sum of our experiences. And I tell my students, you know, I'm a professor at Berkeley College. You see it, Steve, I hate to say this, you see it, the differences in generations. So it's generational differences. How my mom and them recovered from things, you know, my mom can tell you stories and you'd be like, you went through that? Um, but then the younger- and You're a breast cancer survivor. Do you share that with your students? Yes, I do. I'm a breast cancer survivor. I lost a baby at 28 weeks. 28 weeks, I had to deliver a stillborn baby and then head back into the classroom. And so I think you can teach resilience, but it is up to the person. Um, and there's, there's so many different facets that go into it. It's up to the person. You can teach it, but it also, emotional intelligence is a big piece to that. Listen, Dr. Daniel Goldman, who coined the phrase emotional intelligence, I know what he thought he meant by it. What do you mean by emotional intelligence? Well, it's, it has a lot to do with self-awareness, confidence. Um, and I noticed too, like the younger generation, a lot of them, they want to be a star right away, right? Um, they don't understand. I'm not saying all of them, but they don't understand that hard work and that, like you said, you got laid off and, and fired. <laughs> they don't understand that um, our journeys are so unique and it's not going to be paved with prettiness. You know, it's, it's going to be some hard times and your ability to recover, bounce back, to be resilient is there. I, I feel like everybody has is a resilience. Is it in us, even so. in, I hate to do this thing about younger people because it's such 
a generalization. Yeah. But, and I'm not going to play into that everyone gets a trophy thing because that, that's overblown as well. But have we done a disservice to our younger, to our children? I can, it's not just my family and our kids, but always picking up for them, um, trying to fix things for them. I don't want our kids to fail because I know they'll feel bad. That's not fair to them. Right. You're right. You know, oftentimes I tell people sometimes when you're failing, meaning you can fail up, right? Fail forward. Fail forward. And failure is our ability to learn and grow and change. Sometimes you have to grow through the things you go through. I talk about that in my book and I tell my students this as well, because I wouldn't be the woman I am today. You know, I work on a lot of TV productions as well. I work in entertainment as an entrepreneur, but I wouldn't be the woman I am today had I not lost a baby at 28 weeks, had I not had breast cancer, um, because those experiences really shaped who I am today. And I'm not now, we don't want to say, Steve, like, you know, you have to go through bad things in order to be <laughs> successful, but embrace the challenges as they come. Um, and, you know, it's up, it's up to us as leaders and educators to help mold and teach people that they are resilient. You have everything you need to recover, bounce back and move forward. Uh, Dr. Thompson, this is the book cover. It is um, the resilience factor. I'm gonna follow up. I just wanna make sure everybody knows, uh, we'll put up the graphic as to how people can find it. And PS, Berkeley College is one of our higher ed partners and colleagues, but I wanna follow up on this, COVID and resilience. There are a lot of people, not just young people, younger people who are like, listen, this is horrible. They're doing this at the end. We're taping at the end of 2021. I got the fatigue, COVID. I can't take, I understand it. Yeah. But do we, is, resilience is not an option. It is a necessity in this. Am I overstating that? I don't get much applause, so I'll take it. So go ahead. <laughs> if I had, if, if you were in church, I would give you some money in the church plate. Okay. And you'd be standing and see, in my church, let me just say this. We're a little quiet. Just okay. a little too quiet, but that's another story. That's another topic. Go ahead. I got to, I got to bring you to my church. So I, I hear you. <laughs> COVID and resilience. Go ahead. It really is about perspective, right? So we could have just say, Hey, the last two years have been a nightmare. I'm just going to fold. Why this not? Sucks. I, it's all terrible. Right. I used it as an opportunity to finish my book, <laughs> to learn new skills. I brokered some deals with some TV networks. Uh, matter of fact, one of my projects premieres on TV one today. Um, so I use it as an opportunity. And that's a big piece with resilience. People don't see setbacks as comebacks or setups. Where'd you get this? Where, where, listen, you say it's in everybody, doctor, but I'm sitting there going, no, 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 no. Something about your background puts you in the best position to be as tough as you are, resilient as you are. What is it? I think it's seeing my parents. Um, I think it's, you know, I went to college at 17. That helped me. I had to grow up fast, right? Because I, I graduated early. So right. you have to grow up fast. I had a lot of experience. I'm cultured. I've been to South Africa. I've been to parts of Europe. I think that's a big piece too, is like, I see the world differently. Um, I, think, I think that plays a role in, and I'm an optimist, right? So I look at, you know, the glass half full, not half empty. And, and, and I think it is in us, but also I'm a big proponent and advocate for therapy, Steve. I went to therapy. A year and a, 
Are we supposed to say this on the air? I, 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 yeah. I know it's a HIPAA violation. Yeah, I don't know where I would be without it. I can't speak for you. Yeah, I think therapy really helped me, you know, writing, journaling, because um, sometimes your friends, they can't help you. <laughs> okay, so. I know. They I don't, they, yeah, they tell you what you want to hear and not what you need to hear. And when they tell you, we sometimes reject it. By the way, I'm sure there are people on some staff say, really, Steve, you've been in therapy for that? No, no kidding. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. Your therapist. Yes. <laughs> thank you for sharing that, Steve, because a lot of men don't talk about that. And I think you talk about leadership in order to be a successful and great leader. Resiliency is a part of that, but you're in tune with your emotions. So you're okay with going to therapist and sharing it. A little bit. Yeah, I grew up in a, let's say, uh, an Italian-American culture and neighborhood in Newark where talking about your feelings and daring to say you've seen a therapist, <clears throat> let's just say it was not in the culture. Right. Hey, listen, Dr. Uh, Tom Stone, thank you so much for joining us. The book is simply called The Resilience Factor, How to Face Adversity, Trauma, and Tragedy Like a Superhero. And I will tell you, you've been a superhero on public broadcasting right now. Thank well, you so thank much, you. doctor. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Celicia Thompson, um, the resilience factor. I, I know I'm, I'm obsessed about this grit thing and, and I think I have it, but then I realize how weak I can be, right? You've got it, but you feel vulnerable as well. Is it a contradiction in your mind? We're about to read some leadership quotes and react to them. And one of them is, you know what? I'm gonna go to this quote because you have the yes, Muhammad I Ali quote, the, not that one. I'm gonna hold on that one for a second. You this is you. an interesting one because this has to do with, this is a follow-up to the Celicia Thompson interview. Grit. This is where I'm a little confused. This comes from Mandy Hale. Don't even ask me who Mandy Hale is. And Elvin, don't be saying you have your glasses on. Mandy Hale says, this is a, we have a bunch of leadership quotes we look at all the time and try to get them into the show. I can actually read this without the glasses. Quote, just be yourself. Let people see the real imperfect Flawed, quirky, weird, beautiful magic. Excuse me, beautiful, magical person that you are, Mandy Hill. Hey, Mary, here's my question. That includes being vulnerable, et cetera, et cetera. How the heck can we as leaders show grit and toughness and resilience, but still let people see what's really going on under the water, like the duck is swimming and no one could see underneath? I, are people supposed to see what never let them see a sweat or can they see a sweat? I think it's okay to, for them to see you sweat. It's okay to show that you're vulnerable, to show that you're human. And to me, that's what that quote means. Uh, to me, grit is even more than just what you're showing in a particular moment. It's more of a pattern. It's a part of your DNA. It's a part of who you are. But of course, you have to have cracks in that facade. You need to be able to show that, hey, you want to know what? I do cry sometimes. And you want to know what? I have a bad day too. Because if you don't let people see that side of you, they're going to think of you as superhuman and no one is superhuman. So if you want to be relatable, you need to show that more vulnerable side of yourself for sure. Yeah. Oh, what? Okay, hold on. So again, we're taping this right after the Super Bowl being seen later. It has nothing to do with sports. If there's 30 seconds left in a game, minute left in the game, could be any sport, basketball, I say my mini basketball here, right? Could be baseball, doesn't really matter. It's not about sports. Crunch time, late in the fourth quarter in basketball, ninth inning in baseball, late in the fourth quarter football, doesn't matter. Or hockey game, what do you play? Two quarters, three quarters? <laughs> three periods, but close. Okay, I'm, I'm joking, I know. <laughs> late in the game, 
Game on the line. Score tied. Things are tight. The coach as leader. The team gets to see he <laughs> or she. No, 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 yep. no, no, no. You said let Pick them your see moments. the moments. Pick your moments. No, yeah, it's not across the board. You need to know your audience. You need to know when, how, where, why. If you can't answer those questions and you're just vulnerable all the time and panicking and the sky is falling and chicken with your head cut off, that is not a good recipe for leadership at all. So, no, hold so on, I wait should've... a minute. Stop, Mary. I didn't mean to say mm -hmm. stop. I don't mean all the time, but say late in the fourth quarter, late in the game, crunch time, two minute drill, whatever it is, you are pan you're feeling panicky. Mm -hmm. The rule for great leadership is you can't let people see it. I want to be clear. You say? I agree with you well, completely. Did your camera those... freeze or something? No, I was. I thought there was something else coming. No, and, but I'm those... can they see that? Can they see that you're, because I argue that's the time, no matter what you're really feeling, they can't see it. A hundred percent, I agree with you. But there are other times, and it could even be right after the game in that locker room. You could let them know, yeah, you want to know what? I was just as worried as you were, but because we were strong together and I led by my strong leadership, not that you would say that to your team, but you would let them know that you were all in it together. But yes, you do need to let your team know it if it's a leader. But in that moment, no, they want to look up to you as a leader as being strong, confident. So this way they'll be confident in, in themselves and in the potential of winning that game. Without belaboring this, because I want to do the Muhammad Ali quote. One more thing. So in an organization, if you're worried about the future financially, in terms of team members, do you have the right team members? You lose, as we've talked about before, some really talented team members. You have to recruit others on. If the leader of the team, the, everyone's a leader, but that person, whoever he or she is, if they're genuinely worried about the future, you got to keep that one to yourself, your therapist, your family, your closest. That one you can't share with people. You may later, but not at that time. Agreed. Agreed. As you're putting okay. that plan together right. and outwardly as you're letting your team know, I 100% agree. It's all, it, it's say if as a family, if you're struggling financially or if you're having trouble with your spouse, you would never go to your kids in that exact moment until you figured out what the path is. And sometimes that path may be divorce. Sometimes that path may be that you need to downsize a house. And at some point they're going to have to need to know that hard to hear information. But until you've got your stuff together and can talk about it, then you wait. Uh, Muhammad Ali, wonderful book written by uh, his daughter, Hannah Ali. You have a quote from Muhammad Ali and the great I leadership do. quotes. I yeah, do, yeah, I love this. Yep, it's easy. Don't count the days, make the days count. Your love translation. It. Yeah, my translation is so many times we're uh, looking ahead to a month, a, a, a week from now. And instead to me, that's living in the moment. It's literally not counting how many days you have. Each day that you have, each breath that you have, you need to make it matter. It could be something small. It could be something big. Just smiling at somebody. To me, that's what that means. Uh, boy, am I pushing back devil's advocate a lot. I, I'm seeing that here. But hold on. Minute left. I've heard you say before, you, maybe you're not counting the days, but you know when you want to step down and, quote, retire, whatever the heck you're going to do, or go to your next life. And what'd you say you want to do again? I'm going to have a dog rescue. I'm going to okay. rescue dogs. Okay. Uh, what Frank Brown's quote, hold on. Don't rush your life away, Frank Bryan, our audio engineer. Thank you. But Mary, you've said that. Mm -hmm. There's so a difference question. between, no, I have a goal. To not have goals and to not have a dream and to not have a vision of where you want to be five years, 10 years, 
that that's not realistic, but I don't wake up every single day and focus on that. I focus on the here and now I focus on making this taping a success. Then the next thing making, you know, when Joey gets home from school, making his day a success. So it's all of those, Joey, moments, your son, my son, sorry. It's all of those moments that really matter. Not, you know, really focusing a week right. or a month down the line. Just checking, by the way, Frank, thank you. Frank Brown, don't rush your life away. That's so, so Frank Brown is not only an, or the greatest audio engineer you're going to find, not just at PBS, but anywhere else. He's brilliant. And Alvin, that's right. I said it. You are as well, but Frank needs the attention. I'm Mary. No, I'm Steve. <laughs> I'm Steve. That's Mary. This lessons in leadership. Scarlett, what are you laughing at behind the camera? We'll see you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. Disastrous detour. The chapel bells are ringing, but you're stuck, adding 10 points to a three-point turn. This looks like a job for smile power. Good thing your healthy smile is revved up with grin guarding affordable dental benefits. So your healthy smile can keep you on the right route. Unleash your smile power with Delta Dental.